From Sandwich Community TV, I'm Manx Taiki Magyar, and this is Blindside. The entire audio interviews that I've cut to make my short-form video documentaries. In the fall of 2016, my TV employee, Payson Tickham, spoke with restaurant owner Michael Soraldi, who owns a restaurant in Wealthley called Soraldi. Soraldi is a pretty unique restaurant where they actually have a rotating menu every day during their season. And what's even more unique is the menu is often built of 75% of locally sourced ingredients. Soraldi's has won many awards in the area and continues to fill up every single summer. Yeah, so go ahead and start. Uh, what's, your, what's your name and, uh, and the name of the restaurant? Uh, my name is Michael Soraldi and the restaurant's called Soraldi. Awesome. After my kids. Cool. Oh, really? No yeah, that's their last name. That's awesome. That's my last name too. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> How many kids do you have? Three. Really? What are their, uh, what ages? Uh, eight, Hugo's eight, uh, my daughter Violette is five, and then Ariel is one. Yeah. Um, so, talk about the history of Soraldi. When did it, or maybe actually before that, talk about your history as a chef. So, my history as a chef, um, I've been working in restaurants since 1993. I guess my first jobs really were in restaurants, um, so over 20 years. Um, uh, you know, I started uh, as a dishwasher, in the same way a lot of people start cooking, and um, kind of worked my way up through the ranks. And, uh, you know, I worked every everything from bartender to dishwasher to delivery driver to um, all sorts of different things. But um, I started in... Uh, a little restaurant in Syracuse. That's where I first really started working called Alta Cinco. It was a Mexican restaurant. Cool. And then um, I worked my way through college. I went to college um, at SU uh, for art, not for food. So I've never really gone to school for culinary. Um, I did a apprenticeship while I was in college, um, or I did a semester rather, while I was in college in, in I feel like I'm Fumbling. No, 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 you're not at all. Really, this is actually good content where you just keep going. You're right on. Fine. I did a semester when I was in college in Florence, and, you know, I fell in love with Italy. I mean, I grew up Italian. Uh, my uh, grandfather on my mom's side immigrated from Italy uh, in the 20s, and um, uh, my grandfather on my dad's side and my, uh, was born in New York, but his family's also from, uh, from Italy, from Basilicata in the south. And uh, my mom's grandfather was from Trieste and Pola, both in the north. Um, and so I was always, obviously I was raised on Italian food. Uh, my mom cooked all the time, so she was uh, a big um, influence on me. Basically, I would hang out with her in the kitchen and, you know, steal food yeah, <laughs> from yeah, yeah. while she was cooking. Um, but then, uh, after having done a semester in Italy, um, I got back. Graduated school, really wanted to do um, something with art. You know, I had visions of, you know, making paintings, making uh, art video. Um, that was my concentration in school, but having, you know, living that life. And then, um, you know, my plan was to move down to New York and, you know, become a, a famous artist. And um, that wasn't the way it really panned out. I basically, I was going to move down to the city and my, uh, my godfather, who was originally from um, Bologna, wanted to get me a gift for graduation. And he talked to my mom, you know, 
what does Michael, what does Michael want? She's like, well, he doesn't really need anything, but he does want to move back to New York because I grew up around New York City in, uh, in Nyack. And then um, she was like, if you, can, uh, if you know anyone in the restaurant business in the city uh, that could hook him up with a job, that would be great. Because he used to have, his mother used to have a restaurant in uh, New Rochelle, just north of New York. Yeah. And um, so he said, you know, I don't really have many connections in the city exactly, but I do have some connections, you know, back home. What do you want to go back home and, and learn Italian food? And so my mom called me up and told me that, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm there. So I, uh, I went and apprenticed in two different restaurants in Bologna, um, one called... Uh, oh, back home meaning Italy. Back home meaning or, Bologna. Or Bologna, yeah. yeah. Um, so I went and apprenticed in Bologna in two restaurants. One was a big kind of hotel conference center, uh, which I did for a month, and then for the majority of the rest of my time, which was about five months in total, I um, was at uh, Locanda Solarola, which is um, a little albergo, like a um, bed and breakfast sort of uh, Michelin-starred restaurant, which yeah. was great. The chef I worked under there, his name was uh, Roy Caceres. He has since left and opened a restaurant in Rome uh, called Metamorphosy, and he has got uh, his own Michelin stars there. So that was great. Um, when I got back from Italy, the woman who I started washing dishes for when I was 17 was opening another restaurant, um, which I helped her open, and we were a Mediterranean restaurant, so we served everything from Moroccan tagine to uh, handmade pasta to paella, so it was, it was all uh, Mediterranean food. Um, from that point, I did that for a year. Um, my girlfriend, then fiance, now wife, uh, and mother of three, <laughs> Jesse, um, uh, and business partner as well. She uh, had moved down to New York already, uh, just ahead of me. And so after a year of working that restaurant upstate, I moved down to Brooklyn. Uh, and, and I lived in New York for about seven years, working at um, a little restaurant called Aliseo Osteria del Borgo, which has since closed. But it was like a Anoteca um, wine bar. Um, the owner, Albano Ballerini, he was from La Marque, which is like central Adriatic coast. And so we did a lot of, um, a lot of food um, from that area, real scratch food. Like basically he'd be like, I want to make a porchetta like I had when I was a child. Um, and I was like, okay, well, how do you do that? And he's like, I'm not really sure. You have to take the pig and you have to bone it. And then you put another pig shoulder inside with the fennel and the pepper and the garlic and you roll it and you roast it. And I was like, all right, I think I could figure that out. And basically he would tell me these things from his childhood um, and I would have to figure out how to recreate them. So I did that restaurant on and off for three years um, while all the time working, um, taking breaks from that restaurant and working elsewhere um, to get more experience in the city. Um, for example, I worked at Del Posto, which is um, Mario Batali and Joe Bastianich and Lydia Bastianich's kind of flagship um, restaurant, uh, four-star uh, New York Times down in um, the Meatpacking District, Chelsea. Cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mark Ladner's the chef there. He was fantastic. I worked there um, through the opening of uh, the restaurant, so 2004, um, basically through our first review period. Um, and, and that was just an amazing experience. We were getting porcini straight from Italy. Um, we were getting, um, you know, 
the best of the best. I mean, they have the best of the best, basically, is what it came down to. It's a lot of cool, amazing ingredients to work with. Amazing ingredients and, and top-notch chefs. Since it was opening and um, they wanted to get, uh, they were shooting for four stars out of the gate. I mean, the kitchen itself was about a $12 million kitchen, just that. Um, so they were really shooting for the, uh, for the fences, so to speak. And we had, um, like, the chef de cuisine from Nobu was working the fish line and uh, one of the chefs from Lupa was doing hot apps. So I worked um, alongside some of, some really amazing um, chefs as well as um, Carbone, Mero Carbone from Major Food Group, which is down in New York, um, opening all sorts of restaurants. But um, they all were the, the original squad there at uh, Del Posto. So working with those people was very inspirational. Um, from there, I worked at Felidia as well, okay. which is Lily Bastianich's original um, Manhattan-based restaurant. And I really wanted to work there because my grandfather and Lydia Bastianich were from the same town. So I, um, I really wanted to work for her and I just, you know, cold turkey went in. And uh, I went in three times trying to get in touch with the chef because um, one thing I've learned working in kitchens is you don't give your resume to the manager. You, you wait until you can get to the chef. And um, so I was persistent and got that job. And then we had uh, our son, Hugo. And, um, you know, we reevaluated living in New York and what was going on. And we decided that we were going to leave New York and move someplace a little quieter. Um, originally planning on moving back upstate, but uh, ultimately I had a friend that had moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And she was managing a restaurant down there called 610 Magnolia. Um, and the chef of that restaurant came to New York. His name is Edward Lee. Um, he's now doing the uh, Mind of a Chef. He's like the second. After David Chang, it was Ed, um, Edward. And uh, so he came to do a James Beard dinner. We hit it off, and then we ended up moving to Kentucky. Because we hit it off. And, uh, you know, he flew me down to work derby. Work derby, I was like, this is great, babe. We should move to Louisville. Um, and we did it for, we lived there for 11 months and decided that, you know, it wasn't the place we were going to put our roots in and that we wanted to move back east. Um, Jess loves the ocean. She really wanted to live on the ocean. And, um, and I really, um, you know, wanted to uh, move back towards where my family was situated. So I have a sister that was in Cambridge, one in Vermont, one in Brooklyn. So we, uh, we decided we'd try the Cape. And I found a job in Provincetown. I worked in Provincetown. I opened a restaurant, um, meaning I was the opening chef. I wasn't an owner, um, but it was uh, called Dalla Cucina. I was the chef there for three years. Um, after that, uh, I moved on to um, to work. Wait, what? Sorry, lost my chance. So I was at Dalla Cucina yeah. for three years, and then after three years, um, I decided it was kind of time to. Uh, to try to do my own thing. So that's when I left Ala Cucina and um, was that roughly? 2013. Cool. So okay. 2013 is when uh, we started Seraldi and we started it as a pop-up in Provincetown. So um, there was a restaurant called Tiny's, um, which has since closed um, as a restaurant, but Tiny's, um, uh, Kristen, the owner, was doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner all by herself, cooking all three, and decided that you know, she was kind of burning the candle at both ends and, and wanted someone else to take over the dinner shift. And she, um, she was willing to have me advertise as myself, you know, Soraldi at Tiny's. Um, 
And so that's what we did. And um, we did two seatings. Let me backtrack a second. Yeah. Um, so, you know, throughout working at, at Dolly Cucino, when I was talking to Jesse, my wife, about, um, you know, what ideally I would love to do would be have a little farm and have a little restaurant on the farm where we just cooked whatever was farm ready. Stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned farm to table. I just want to say that after coming back from Italy and having cooked in Italy for, um, for that time when I was there, um, it was 2003, um, and farm to table was really taking off. I mean, Alice, Water had a, Alice Waters has already really set it in motion um, in, in Northern California in that area. But I mean, when I came back from Italy, I realized that this farm to table movement that everyone was talking about is just cooking food that grows where you are. That's all it is. is yeah. I mean, farm to table is, that should be the name of every restaurant. Not being farm to table makes less sense to me when you really sit and you think about. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a term <laughs> that we discuss. It's like, it should be. I just think that farm to table as a term is, um, if you're in Europe, it, it seems like, I mean, yes, there's food shipped from Kenya to London and, and things like that. But for the most part, I mean, you're eating what grows near you. I mean, someone in Bologna wouldn't think of importing something from Sicily, let yeah. alone, you know, another country. Um, so, so it's rare that it's not farm to table. It, it is. Farm to table is just life. Yeah. You know, no one's going to eat tomatoes unless they're um, preserved or, or, you know, jarred in the winter. They'll use them in jarred and ragu, but um, it's just not done, you know. And I remember going back to when I was an art student and living in uh, Florence, I, didn't, I knew about cooking and I loved cooking, but I, didn't, I wasn't like fully um, into it. So I went to the store and I bought all these mushrooms. I had never seen mushrooms like this. They were so beautiful and big and looked like a quintessential mushroom and they were porcinis. And I was buying fresh porcinis for like three bucks a pound or three euro a pound for like tons of porcinis and made a great sauce for my, uh, my roommates and never even realized what I was doing. I just knew that all of a sudden there were mushrooms because it was the fall in Italy. So that's kind of how it was. But yes, I digress. Yeah, no. Back to um, opening the restaurant. Uh, we, um, I was like, wouldn't that be great if we had a farm and a restaurant, but you know, out on the Cape, there's, you know, farm land is scarce. Oh, yeah. And if it is there, it's like, you know. It's not ideal growing anyway. It's not ideal. Well, the, far the Cape has been farmed since the Pilgrims. I mean, mm -hmm. people have always farmed the Cape and Native Americans farmed the Cape. But um, basically it was like finding all those elements in one space didn't seem, seem doable in this area, but we wanted to stay here. And so Jess was like, well, why don't, you already have farmers that you're using here on the Cape. Um, why don't you just use whatever they have and, and cook whatever the farmers are growing? And they're probably gonna grow up better than us anyway because they're farmers and that's, that's their livelihood. And, um, and in turn, you're giving back to the community and it's a, it's a network. Um, so that's what we did. We, um, you know, people were skeptical um, we weren't, we couldn't be, we had to go all in, but we, um, we opened at Tiny's. We offered two seatings, one at, um, 6.30 and one at 
and um, we had seven courses. The menu changed every day um, based on whatever I could get from local farms, whatever cranberries I could scrounge out of the bogs, whatever, um, whatever mushrooms I knew what to pick. Um, whatever we can get locally um, that day is what we used. So, I mean, if we could get, if someone had, for example, a bunch of squid, we would use the squid. You know, if we could get a bunch of, um, you know, someone had carrots one day, we would do something with carrots. Um, if someone had, um, you know, some great honey that they had just harvested, we would use that. And so basically, um, I would make seven courses every day between the hours of three and six um, to serve to 18 people at a time. If it was raining, we could only serve 12 because um, it was a deck. It was like a rooftop deck with a part of an awning, but not the whole thing. Yeah. So we would really watch the weather patterns to make sure we could um, seat all our reservations. And we did it for, um, for that season, 2013. And um, we were not even a real restaurant. We were dinner service at Tiny's. And um, people reviewed us on TripAdvisor and those sort of websites as a real restaurant. And um, we, uh, I'm humbled to say we were number one on the Cape that season um, for that little pop-up we did which was great. Um, after that season, after our first season at Tiny's, um, she decided, Tiny, uh, Kristen, decided she wanted to do dinner again. So we started looking for our own space because we had this great reputation going, but we were essentially homeless. Um, I looked around uh, P-Town and we uh, didn't see anything that really fit. Uh, things were either too big or too much money or needed too much work. Um, so we started expanding. We looked in uh, Truro. Some things looked all right, but didn't pan out. And so then we ended up, um, I ended up coming down to Wellfleet or up to Wellfleet um, to look at uh, one space in town that was changing hands. And when I got there, the guy was like, oh, we just, you know, signed contract with someone else. And so I was basically like, I have had two kids at that point. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I was like, it was April. I was like, I have no idea what is going to happen. I'm going to drive down to the bay. I knew you could drive down to the harbor and I was like, I'm going to drive down there, turn around, look at the water. I know there's some benches down there and just try to figure out the next move. And so I get down to the harbor and there's a big sign in the window of a building, this big, um, big gray mammoth building right on the water. It says restaurant for lease. And I called the guy up that day and, um, and we've been there three years. Awesome. Yeah. No way. Yeah. So, so it was completely. Un how did, how did you feel when you just like you're cause you're just going down on a whim and you just see this? Like when I saw the sign, I was like, just that. I was like, I saw a sign. I was like, wow, there, there it is. And so, um, so that was that. And so we do the same thing now. I mean, we have a garden now um, that's right outside the restaurant where we grow herbs and um, some choice produce like um, artichokes and stuff like that that you don't find at the farmer's market. But really, like the majority of our, um, our foods are either uh, from the farmer's market, uh, from our little garden, or foraged. We had a forager on staff this year and um, that was the first time we've done that as far as have someone on staff, but I've always gone out and, um, and looked for things in the wild. And we're learning more and more about um, the food that's around us because there's tons of food right here like in the woods or at the sea edge um, there's wild sea beans there's sea rocket which is like a wild uh, maritime arugula um, there's tons of sea uh, lettuces and seaweed that is edible um, and that we've uh, 
taken into our cuisine. Because basically, I mean, what I'm trying to do with the food is, um, I guess I'm coming from an Italian background, obviously. I mean, that's where I've done my training and that's um, what I want to eat. That's what I'm passionate about. Um, and, um, but we're, what I feel like is we're kind of doing it in the Italian way. Like, yes, it was great to import porcini from Italy. That's awesome. But um, there's porcini that grow in these woods that we're sitting in right now. Yeah. They're here. Um, do we have them year-round? No, but we do have them. And, um, and I think that for us, uh, for Jesse and I, something that's important is that uh, we're using the Italian technique, and, um, but we're really using more the... I could say the European or the Italian uh, mind state, meaning that instead of importing, yes, I use olive oil. I'm not like 100%. I use olive oil. I use nuts that don't go around here. Um, but for the most part, um, we're trying to make the food we want to eat with the ingredients that exist here on the Cape. So whatever people are growing or whatever nature provides, that's what's on the menu that day. And it changes every day. Is that, is it, I mean, it sounds incredibly stressful to be coming up with a menu every day that's different and not always certain of, I mean, I'm sure you have an idea that, okay, yeah, we know this week we're going to be maybe messing around with t certain types of ingredients, but right. not to know until kind of that day exactly what you're going to be cooking. Is that, I mean, is that refreshing? Is it, is it stressful? It is, yes. It's refreshing and stressful to come up with a new menu every day. Basically, it is, um, people often, diners at the restaurant, they're like this you really come up with a new menu every day like really and then i'll go to a box we have with the menu from the day before and the day before and i'll show them and i'll say yes yes we really do and they're like you're crazy and i'm like yeah we, we're crazy it's yeah. true i mean it's it's crazy to do this i mean there's not um there's like not a ton of restaurants that um i know about that that change their menu daily. I mean, there's restaurants that'll run things for a week. Um, there's uh, some restaurants that will, you know, run specials of things like that. But in order to use what's grown here by local farmers, it would have been like, in a normal restaurant setting, you have your menu and that stuff is coming from all over. Um, and then you can run a special with like this local butternut squash that was grown at Hillside Farm or, or what have you. Um, basically, for us to run a menu that was, I, I would probably say 75% locally sourced ingredients, um, we need to change it that often. We need to change it every day because the yields are small for these small family farms. Um, and what is available and what's being picked changes on a daily basis. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we try to utilize whatever we can get that day, that day, and then it changes the next day. So basically my day uh, in the summer um, will be, I'll go in the morning to the farmer's market. If there is a farmer's market, I go to three different farmer's markets a week, or I will, um, I will call farmers and see what's available. Basically, that starts around 9 o'clock. Um, I'll get to the restaurant by 11 with all the produce for the day, or I'll have the farmers dropping things off. Um, between the hours of 11 and 2, um, I sit down, Jesse and I sit down, 
and um, you know I give her my ideas for the menu she comes back at me counter we go back and forth about um, what might work uh, on the menu for that day what's a good order for things and things like that and then she'll take over and she'll do um, the wine pairing and so my wife does two wine pairings every day Jesse um, and then she'll come back and she'll say um, you know what do you think about this with that that with that and I was like sounds great um, so we do that there's um, seven different courses every day and um, 14 different wines paired with that because we do a, um, a wine pairing for our um, what we call the house pairing which is the entry level and then we do a reserve pairing with some higher end wines um, but every single day all 21 of those items change so yes it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> do you think that there's some overlap I mean it sounds like to me that it, there's some overlap with your artistic um, and you know what I mean like studying art and, and you know pursuing that at some point and then the style that you're cooking in it, it seems it seems that that has you know that mindset has, has influenced the way you cook but am I wrong in that I mean do you see yourself as as an artist in the kitchen in some sense or no or you know what I mean um yeah people make that that comparison a lot that you know um, oh, you went to art school, well, food is art, and all that, and I guess... Yeah, is that a silly... I, mean, is I guess I, um, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's kind of like what we're doing is just cooking the food that is here, you know? I think that it's a very... I'm not trying to belittle what we're doing by any no, means, yeah, you don't but want I'm to make saying it more than it is. what we're doing is is very old. There's no like new, the new thing, you know. Yes, like okay, Noma is doing this, and and uh, Stone Barns in Terrytown or next to Terrytown is doing this, um, and uh, there are restaurants popping up all over that are cooking what's in that area in that terrar if you if you want to say that but is that new it's like the opposite of new it's really what people did before the industrial age that's what how people ate food i mean how else would you eat food you have to eat what's available near you so i don't think it's it's art um it's art as much as you want to say like how you live your life is art you know it it is we're cooking um what the people in our community and nature um, in this specific uh, longitude and latitude provide. You know, that's cool. all it is. Um, yes, I'm using the techniques I've learned along the way, and I take inspiration from all over, you know. Anything, I mean, we tried to do some traveling in the off season um, uh, down to Mexico. Um, we went to Iceland and Norway last year, so um, that was inspirational. I have a sister living in Oslo now. Um, so we take inspiration from wherever we go, but we're not taking ingredients. We're just seeing how we can apply things that are here um, to that inspiration. So that's basically yeah the no, gist. That, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it's not a uh, you're not trying to you're not trying to make it more than more than it is. It's, yeah, you're, you're yeah. I mean, you're I'm not trying to be a, a new trend offering a. Uh, yeah, I mean, I want my, my plates to look nice, but it's not like um, we're not getting out there with the tweezers and, you know, you know, trying to... I mean, I want my food to be accessible. We're not serving, um, you know, live ants and grasshoppers because 
I don't know, I mean, I've eaten grasshoppers and that's great if you love grasshoppers, but we're also dealing with people, we know our clientele, people are here on vacation. You know, they want to eat food that makes them feel good. Um, do we serve things that challenge them? Yeah. I mean, we do serve food um, that they're not used to and, and things from the area that um, we feel like might be challenging. And then we also try to serve food um, that might be reminiscent and remind them of, of childhood or something like that. Like we've done a, um, what have we done? I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. No, no, that's that. great. No, that's, yeah. yeah no, that so, I mean, we try to do, we have seven courses, so we have seven chances. Um, we try new things every day. Okay. I'm not saying that of the seven courses we do every day, they all work. I mean, think about, we've been open for four years. We have four seasons um, under our belt, and I would say, you know, to do the math to... That's a lot of different dishes. That's a lot of different dishes. That's awesome. Yeah. Where do you see? Yeah, no, I'm not. I've never done the math, but it's a lot of different dishes. That's a, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So what? Um, well, I guess getting to the final parts of it. Where, you know, so you're here. You have Seraldi now. You guys have been up and running for four years. Yeah. What um, going forward? Uh, not that there has to be any changes or there is anything new, but I mean, what do you know? What do you see for next year? What's the so, what's your take on the on the restaurant going forward? You like your place? And, as far as um, I mean, the restaurant in the future and moving forward, I think that um, you know we love our location. I mean, we're right on the water. Literally, I can go out and pick wild peas between me and the bay. You know, they grow all, all over there. I can go get sea beans without getting in a car. Um, you know, there's, uh, the location is great. I love living in Wellfleet. Um, and uh, we look to stay put, stay where we are. Um, you know, sometimes people ask me, we seat 45 during uh, August, um, July. And people ask, well, you know, you're full. You know, you're, you're full. How are you going to expand? How are you going to get bigger? And I have no interest in expanding the restaurant. I would like to, um, to really refine what we're doing. Every year we try to, um, to do that um, by bringing in new chefs, by, um, by working in the off season on, uh, on not only menu planning, but um, experimenting. Um, we do some, um, some curing in the off season. You got a spider on you. Oh, we do some uh, curing. We have Drew Locke, who is a great farmer I've been working with uh, since I moved to the Cape, so about six years now. Uh, he's in Truro. His farm uh, is called Hillside Farm. Mm -hmm. He raises poultry as well as uh, pork. And in the past, we've, um, we've cured his pigs. So I've made uh, uh, two-year-age prosciutto from his pigs. And um, we, we do salumi, we do lardo. Um, I recently made the Copa di Testa, which is a head cheese for a, a farmer's dinner. We do a farmer benefit dinner at the end of the season. Actually, we kind of buttress the season. Our first day and um, in the last week, we have farmer dinners where we invite all the farmers to come and then we have, um, we have public come as well. Oh, wow. Um, but uh, so our off season is all about experimentation. Yeah. Um, and then we can take what we learn when we're closed and apply that to the next season. So say we're, um, last season during the off season, we made vinegar 
we made vinegar from our wine um, bottles that had been half used. We, uh, we had a mother, which is the bacteria that uh, changes the wine to the vinegar. And um, we've got that going again for next season. So it's all about kind of planning ahead um, and uh, things like uh, fermentation and curing are things that we can practice during the winter and set up for the next season, as well as garden planning. And um, we have farmers that we've been using for, for years. And so they'll come and ask us during the winter, you know, what do you want us to start for next season? You know, I've had um, farmers grow us varietals of uh, radicchio that we haven't seen around here or um, a variety of, of different crops that you wouldn't typically see at a farmer's market. Um, but I have to say, as far as a, a chef and, and a restaurateur, um, one of the, if not the best compliment I've received as a chef doing this is when I was at the farmer's market and, um, and the farmer thanked me for sending him customers. I yeah, think that awesome. was awesome because he was like, he was like, you know what? All these people came and, and bought the husk cherries that they hadn't had before. Right. And um, I just wanted to say, you know, thanks for sending people. It's awesome. And I think that that sense of community is really important to our restaurant. I mean, we're not, we didn't open Soraldi to be, you know, the final destination of what people are growing. I really um, feel as though we're part of, a cycle. So basically we, people are growing things here. We buy the food, we cook the food, we take the money. I mean, there's a lot cheaper ways to buy oh, ingredients, yeah. you know? So basically we're, we're, we're buying ingredients from farmers. We're, um, we're using those ingredients in our restaurant. And then um, we go back to the farmers and we buy more ingredients. I mean, it's a real you cycle. Off. You, you obviously you push them um, I mean they're part of the process too they're part of your menu which is I imagine exciting for them too I, it's an opportunity for them to not just say okay we're gonna grow our corn and our carrots and people are gonna come pick those up it's like well what what would you know what could be cool for Soraldi to cook with I mean they, be, they become part of the experiment in a sense yeah yeah that is good it's it's um, it's good what was I was gonna say something about that um, so not only do we um, in turn go and buy um, food from farmers but we literally have the cycle going where um, we get chickens from uh, Wellfleet Coop Eggs. Victoria Pecoraro is the chicken farmer it's right here in um, we get eggs from her actually not chickens but we get eggs from Victoria. Um, Victoria will pick up every morning a um, five gallon bucket of vegetable kitchen scraps that she serves serves she serves to her chickens <laughs> yeah. and so her chickens are eating our veggie scraps and then we're getting eggs from her so it's it's literally a cycle yeah. same with uh, with drew lock his pigs will eat um, the scraps from our kitchen as well um, and then we'll do things with drew like we um, we collected uh, you know four or five gallon buckets of acorns and started feeding his pig his pigs acorns because we wanted uh, Iberico style ham you know we wanted to make the, the ham with the the nut fed swine and there's tons of oaks here so it, it works that's amazing yeah um last trying to think well, of the last just, questions yeah i, I know you, you've been talking about it a lot but i think it's not that you're like some crusader i mean you kind of are a crusader <laughs> how i see it as far as restaurants but how do you view like the culture of restaurants do you think like i mean you're just doing your own thing which is great like you're focusing on your own restaurant but do you feel like this should be a standard like you're talking about farm 
you think more people should do what you're doing? Or? As far as like whether or not more people should um, follow this same model, basically, um, um, you know, I keep saying basically. Anyway, um, I think that, you know, like I said earlier, we're trying to um, cook the food that's available here. And um, that's what we want to do. Would I love to see more farms being supported by more restaurants out here? Um, yeah, it'd be great. I think that it would take a lot of um, education on the part of the restaurant to educate the customers in what exactly that means. Because, um, I mean, that's a big part of what we do as well. We, um, before every meal, I'll get up and I'll explain the, the, the menu to the diners. Um, and I think that's important because I want them to know not only, you know, what they're eating, but where it came from, who grew it, you know, why we're serving it today. You know, one day we did something with green strawberries. Now there was, um, it was a few years ago, uh, they were doing green strawberries at Noma in Copenhagen. And so everyone started doing stuff with green strawberries. And I had to stop and I had to reassure the clientele. I had to say, we're using these green strawberries because we just transplanted a bunch of strawberry plants. We want them to root and we don't want the energy going into the strawberries. We're not, cool. we're not trying to serve green strawberries to be on trend. We're using it because that's what had to get picked that day. So that's what uh, is going to be on the menu. Um, and that just means green strawberries are just unripe. Just yeah, unripened strawberries, strawberries yeah. so people will pickle them or whatever. And it's a great ingredient, but the point is that we're using, you know, what we can get from here. Um, we don't, we didn't start the restaurant to be, you know, on trend with anything. And um, I think that as things are moving, I, I mean, there's a big, like, since, um, since, let's say, pioneers like Noma, happened um, and um, Favakin up in Sweden um, there's been a lot of Nordic influence coming into American food um, which is which is awesome I mean it's it's a new a new thing and so that's cool but um, that's not to say that the Italian influence isn't important or the, the South American influence is important I mean you really need to just make food that people want to eat. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's what's important. So if you're making food that people want to eat, then um, I think you're doing it right. And you know, I, and will it take time for people not to want to eat a burger and fries every day? Yeah, it will. I mean, we, <laughs> it will. People want what they want. And I mean, I think that's part of the culture of, of where we live. It doesn't happen everywhere, but that, that's where we are. Um, and I think that to think that there can be, every restaurant can be um, cooking what's picked that day and, um, and still satisfy the same amount of people. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I'm not sure. I know that um, we've been very well received and, uh, you know, I think that that is, um, that's great. And I love our customers. I mean, we have people that ate at the restaurant eight or nine times this season. And that, that alone is 
makes us feel good as owners that, that, that people are coming back and um, people are coming back to be surprised. I mean, the people, uh, this one couple I can think of that eight, nine times, um, I was like, did we repeat ourselves at all? You know, was, cause we do like formulaically repeat ourselves um, as far as like, you know, we'll do a, a ravioli this way or that way. Um, but they were like, we, we never had the same thing. <laughs> And that's crazy. I well, mean, that's pretty and they keep actually, coming to see what's new. Well, it's like you're. It's, it's like you're. Uh, I mean, it's kind of an interesting concept. You're. You're getting. Um, you're. It's like you're going to a new restaurant every time, but with the reputation um, of you know you're always going to get good food. I mean, you know, I'm speaking for your customers that that have come back. But it's kind of a really neat experience to know that. Oh yeah, we love what this guy eats, but we're not going back and getting the same dish that we've got a million times. I mean, they get to try something new. Um, but again, they know it's going to be good food. That's an exciting thing, it's, uh, I think. Right, and do you know on the it, us doing it the way we do it um, takes a lot of trust on the customer's behalf. And um, I think that you know our reputation has gotten to the point where where people are willing um, to trust us, which is awesome. I mean, I, I couldn't ask for anything more than a little trust, yeah. <laughs> you know, which cool. is great. Soraldi still has one location located near the Wellfleet Harbor, and they continue to rise and rise in popularity. It shows that when you have an incredible product, people will care. Blindside is a sandwich community TV podcast. Subscribe to us on your favorite platform or visit us directly at www.sandwichcommunitytv.org so you can stay up to date with all the newest content. Thanks for listening. <laughs>